This is Doug McClure from DougMcClure.net talking with CNET Technologies. And today I have the CNET Technologies executive team here. I have Bernie Davidovics, who is the founder and CTO. And I have Raymond Mara, who's an executive vice president with CNET Technologies, who's an emerging player now. I've been around since early 2000s in this area of business transaction management, application performance management, you know, latency monitoring and management in the financial and trading markets. And we're going to talk about some of the things that CNET Technologies brings to the table in this area and learn a little bit about their views of the business transaction management space and some of the approaches that they're applying to help clients solve these complex problems. So I'd like to introduce to you Bernie. And Bernie, if you could share a little bit about yourself and uh, your background, and then we can get started. Great. Good morning. Uh, thank you, uh, Doug. Um, hey, I'm, uh, my name is Bernie Davidovics. Uh, I'm the founder of uh, CNET. I've uh, been in uh, IT now for just about 30 years, and most of what most of that time has been the focus. Most of my career has been focused on uh, the various aspects of performance analysis, asset planning, and measurement. I was the founding. I founded the performance practice of predictive systems back in '96. Uh, and then in 2001, founded CNET initially as a consulting company. In 2003, we launched our first product. Uh, my philosophy always was that uh, we had plenty of data sources, plenty of tools, and what was always needed was the correct application of those tools, and that we shouldn't build a new data source until we used the current ones effectively. Well, in 2003, we realized that despite the vendors out there and despite the, many, uh, the, the activity, in the field that everybody was missing what I saw as, as, as it was needed. And so in 2003, felt we needed to actually build a product that was not there. And that's what we, that's what we did in 2003, launch it and uh, sold our first product in the enterprise space in 2004. Thank you. And, and Raymond, could you introduce yourself? Sure. Good morning. My name is Raymond Mara. Uh, I'm, uh, as, as Doug indicated, uh, Executive Vice President of CNET, Te- CNET Technologies. I have about 25 years experience in the network management space dealing with sales, marketing, and business development. My background uh, was formerly with companies such as Bull & Babbage, Objective Systems Integrators, or OSI, and Microviews, which is now part of IBM, and companies like Riversoft and so forth. So my focus and my experience with the customer has always been with the network. And with the proliferation of networks in the 90s and then SNMP, IP-based technology in the early to mid-90s, companies were faced with decisions as to how much network to deploy with the expectation that this this fiber and these switches and these voice and data technologies were going to place tremendous demands on their their facilities. They They had to determine how they were going to manage it and monitor it and ensure the stability of the network. And so the, my, uh, my experience has been with allowing firms, both from the, the government as well as the telecommunications industries and the enterprise space and even financial services at that point, to put in better tools that would allow them to uh, immediately identify, or what we like to say proactively identify when elements of their networks were not functioning properly. In 2001, 2002, at the, the famous tech meltdown, we began to see a, a shift away from network.
network management and monitoring, because the networks were built, they were put in, there was a tremendous amount of dark fiber still in the ground, towards thinking about the user and service level management. And CNET, one of the leading companies that focuses on uh, the application performance, and upon joining the company two years ago, we've ex extended its its uh, footprint into not only enterprise, but financial services and even interest in the, the uh, communications uh, space. So uh, that's a little bit about me. Thank you, uh, Raymond and Bernie. I, I want to jump right into talking about the, the, the value proposition for this area called business transaction management and help our listeners understand what business transaction management means to CNET, uh, if that's an appropriate classification to put you into or if it's more appropriate to be in the application performance management or if they're the same. And we'll just talk about this area. Could you share your views on what a business transaction really is? Uh, yeah, it's from our, it's very good, like from our perspective, in fact, the way to do application performance management correctly is through business transaction management. Essentially, in order to effectively manage the application, you can only do it from the point of view of the business transaction. In the past, one of the reasons that application performance, and that's one of the one of the issues, you know, in the past, one of the reasons I created the company in 2003, is in 2003, I was trying to manage the application by looking at just network round trips or just SQL calls or just HTTP calls, and that, that, that gets you something, but it doesn't work, because again, it's a proxy, just like TPU is one of the proxies that affects the end-user application. So to a network round trip is just another proxy, one of, one of the factors that affect the, affects the, affect the transaction. So, so we went from, look at the, the, the history of the transition, we went from monitoring CPU to monitoring bandwidth to monitoring network, to monitoring things like buffers and Java queues, et cetera, et cetera. And then say, okay, let's look at network round trip time and let's look at SQL round you know, the call. And really, you have to keep moving beyond that to look at the entire business transaction from end to end in its business sense broken down. So what is a business transaction? The only thing that is a business transaction is what the end user sees it as. Our focus is whenever we talk about business transactions and defining them, one of the things that we do with our product is we collect all of the pieces. So we do see the network round trip time, we do see the SQL call, we do see the HTTP round trip and the SQL call, but we put them all together in the context of how they, how they provide the end-to-end -end transaction. But you can't do that until you know what that end-to-end -end transaction is. And there are many different kinds of end-to-end -end transactions. Some transactions begin with an end user hitting enter or clicking on something and ending with a display on the screen. But in many cases, an end-to-end -end transaction begins with a phone call coming in through a call distributor switch and ends with a screen pop on the screen. So therefore, it's one way the other way. Uh, and, then, and then in financial services, a business transaction may be a one-way distribution of market data. But either way, the business transaction is what the end-user business sees as such. Sometimes the end-user is a person, sometimes the end-user is an algorithm trading engine. Either way, the business transaction is always defined by the business. Absolutely. That's a very important point. When we talk about business transaction management, and we use that management word, what does that mean to CNET in terms of activities or capability or function that a solution or technology needs to have so somebody can actually manage those business transactions? And so here I you know, fall back to the very, very old adage, 
that, and that is that you can't manage what you can't monitor, and that you can't monitor what you can't measure. And essentially, it all begins. You can't begin to do anything called management unless you're able to measure what it is you want to, you know, measure it, monitor, and then manage it. And so we focus on you know, on the measurement, which enables the management of these applications. And from two points of view, it's not just the once you're, and that is to be able to see actual business transactions. And that's one of the reasons we talked about, you know, synthetic transactions or active measurement is fine for some purposes, but it's not business transaction management because that's just, whereas we're focusing on both seeing the activity of the business. So therefore, with, with, with passive business transaction measurement, it's used not just to see performance, but to see the business activity because performance is only has to be seen in context. Okay, because as I said earlier, the, the problem today is not that 90% of the transactions are slow, it's that only 1% or less than 1% is. But you've got to see the overall activity. You've got to see that anomaly in context of all the transactions. So you have to be able to recognize, rec- measure, and record all of the transactions so that you can A, see the anomalies, but, see the, but B, see the, anomalies that, but see the anomalies in context. So that you not only can quote unquote fix the anomalies, but also, and this is a very important thing, be able to identify the problems that are not worth pursuing. Because right now, what happens today, the resources used in, in, in environments when a transaction goes bad, or a report, someone reports a transaction, resources are spent and wasted pursuing phantom things. It might be one out of a billion, and the question is, if you really knew it was one transaction out of a billion, how much money do you really want to spend on that? Maybe you do in some environments, but without that information, what you see is huge amounts of time and money being wasted in IT departments pursuing what in reality are not real problems, but they have to because the perception of the user as it is. So, so having real data, both in terms of the numbers of transactions and their quality, okay, provides the ability to both fix the poor quality as well as see it in perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Those are very critical points. And one of the challenges that I see, and, and it has to be a key component of the value proposition discussion, is understanding that there's more than one type of context and, and how we get companies to focus on the right context. And, you know, there's the business context and there's the IT context. And often those things are completely different and they have completely different perspectives and understanding if they do at all the impact on the business of you know these IT things and we can talk about this later but I want to make sure that that we 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 do discuss this business context versus IT context and how like you mentioned you know the sea of red or the needle in the haystack and you know, how do you help the frontline operations staff or application support people find the important problems and and by bringing that business context in I think is a key area that you know, when they know that that transaction impacts a million dollar trade or 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 some other you know high value operation in the business, that's the one they focus on versus all the other noise. It's a very a very important point you just brought up, and that is uh, one of the you know, it's, it's no, again, an overused term of bridging the gap. But what we mean when we say bridging the gap is really bringing together the IT perspective and the business perspective. We work. You know, we walk into environments, happens especially in Wall Street, where the business user users refuse to sit in the same room. It gets so bad in many cases that we talk about finger pointing, but the gap gets so bad in some cases when they refuse to sit, to sit in the same room with the network people, the infrastructure people, because the business says we're losing money and it's because of latency, 
and IT says, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm moving four billion packets that I can prove to. I can move it in uh, 50 microseconds. And they're each seeing their perspective only, and the network guy says, I don't understand that application, and the application guy says, I don't understand the network. What we're doing is we are showing both the infrastructure, we're actually superimposing one on top of the other. We have using uh, one of our one of our GUIs, which we call our tube. We have a, uh, one of the front ends we use to analyze our data is a OLAP-based uh, cube, which allows uh, either side. You can look at the system as as transaction and saying this transaction, this logical tra business transaction, had a slow response time, and then see what infrastructure served that transaction. So you can say, okay. This logical transaction had a slowdown, and it was served by this server versus that server, or this network component versus the other. And the IT side can do the opposite. The IT can be monitoring their infrastructure and see a slowdown in the infrastructure and see what it impacts, vice versa. So whereas before, if IT is looking at billion transactions, they can't differentiate that the 0.1% that's bad are the most critical, or that in fact the 10%, you know, the 9% that are good are, are not as critical. Now they have a way of seeing the impact of what the business side is, and so you can respond to a business user talking about a business transaction and see what it means to the infrastructure and vice versa. Yep. And that's the key thing that allows the two to talk. So instead of arguing about, is there a problem? Okay, where is the problem? It's about, you can now focus on solving the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that gap is really the Grand Canyon and really most of the companies that I visit, and I'm sure you see as well. And, and the key the key here is in, in this whole motto that I've come up with around the value proposition for business service management is that business service management and BTM and these enabling technologies have to enable people to think, operate, and respond differently now because they've got this understanding of the proper business context. And now they can go do something differently because they understand that this is the most important problem for me to work on, and I don't need to worry about everything else. Right. Well, yeah, especially identifying priorities. Uh, otherwise, you have just huge amounts of time. You know, people, uh, huge, what I call the people in a room problem, where somebody, you know, somebody reports a problem, and no one can, you know, so we know it exists like a Loch Ness Monster. You know, people have reported it there, they swear it's there, and yet when you look for it, you know, you can't find it. You can't find the evidence of it. And the business, the fact is that, you know, as I say, the, um, he who has the best data wins, okay? And when the only data you have is lost money, okay, the business has that data. The business says, I've lost money. I've lost opportunity. And this happens especially in financial services where a trader can, you know, you know on the balance sheet, he can say he lost trade. And he can blame it and will blame it on latency of the network. Uh, as we talk to market makers and say, you know, Bernie, I'm in the business of selling stuff. But if everybody hits my bid, if everybody's coming to my door, something's wrong. That means I've got the wrong price because I've been fed my data is late, and that's not acceptable. So what happens is IT then needs to have data to be able to respond and put that in perspective. And we find over and over again is that when IT is presented with real data, with real perception, not just, you know, perception of it's your fault, but real data, they can, without fail, always fix it very effectively. We have many... Uh, many such anecdotes I, I, I can provide of, of those kinds of cases. Yeah, I've seen them too. I, I think that business transaction management's value proposition falls into sort of three areas in the typical company, and maybe with your company, it's it's a fourth area on that on that trading floor. But there's there's a there's a unique value proposition to the business 
there's a unique value proposition to you know the application development or application support group, as well as the frontline you know operations center, command center organization. Can you a little talk about how you see CNET's technologies, you know, providing value in in those environments? Right. So it's both you know, it's both operationally there. There's two. There are really two general areas of use. You know, one is the operations. Okay, being able to see in real time how are we doing and being able to act on it. And first of all, respond. So, so in the case of um, let's take an example of financial services. There is a Many um, brokers are providing a uh, low-latency trading desk. And so they're advertising and selling to their customers, their external customers, in low-latency market. And they'll get a call from a customer to the help desk, so the, the customer service center. Uh, we'll get a call from the help desk saying, you know, why didn't I get a fill on that trade? Uh, I responded to a bid and didn't get a fill. Externally, they, all they can say today to the customer as well, yeah, obviously it must have been on your side. Internally, they turn around and call their operations, the IT operations, saying, what's going on? We know it must be on our side. And, and frustration on both sides. So, so in that case, the, the customer service center wants the ability to look up that trade for, while he's on the phone with the customer and say, yeah, we know exactly when we got that trade. We got it at this microsecond. It went through, we, we, sent, we saw it go to our system. We processed that in five milliseconds. And you didn't get a fill because you missed it by your your request to us was late, and, and you can, we, can, we can prove that. Uh, on the other hand, operations—that's so the customer service center. On the other hand, the operate IT operations can be monitoring latency through the system transactions and alert customer service outbound, saying we're seeing this and and be proactive and proactively respond. So it enables us both the reactive, the response, the customer service response center, as well as the proactive side operations monitoring it and being able to proactively either notify customers and then fix it. And by the way, one of the, um, one of the great values and you know, you've considered a great success is if the operations center can call a customer and even notify of a problem, even without having fixed it, notifying of a problem before the customer has to call them changes the entire relationship and entire perception of service. That's one aspect. The other aspect, when you go on to financial services, is the financial services of the, the trades and market makers, the traders, they want a real-time feed from the monitoring system. Say, market data is slow on this feed. What they'll do is they'll use that in real time, and we're talking a second-by-second second, you know, basis, to, make, to not lose money or to make money by, essentially, as they say, they can widen their stance in the market or get out of the market. So rather than... Um, be in a market where they're losing money, get notified by the monitoring system in real time so that they can uh, essentially prevent themselves from losing money or, 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 or make money or make money. So it's very the different. Those are the different constituencies: the, the, the customer service, the help desk, IT operations, monitoring it, and then the, the trader who wants that the outcome of trading in, in real time. Thank you. When when we when we talk about value proposition, imagine it's very easy to do in in the financial trading market area, do you sense that clients are able to measure or produce tangible ROI or value? It's in this time of shrinking IT budgets and, and fighting for dollars you know, with all the different projects that most customers have. How do we convince customers that here's how you're going to get that value, here's how you're going to get that ROI, here's how implementing this technology is going to really affect the bottom line? Focus 
focus your resources on fixing problems rather than, right now, the resources are spent, huge amount of resources, uh, chasing problems that are never found. And, you know, in a, in a, for example, one, one major bank, um, you know, reports get, get the complaint from traders that the NASDAQ updates are slow. They're not getting their quotes on time. Uh, and he says to me, he says, okay, and this is what happened. Yeah, what they'll do is, he says, I just took a train with, with, with the, anyone that they say, anybody that keeps their job in this environment, the land guy, the WAN guy, the server guy, the network guy, all go into full-blown firefighting mode, chasing, uh, chasing your tail. What you'll see is, so he said, I just took this, for example, the network guy says, I just took a trace of five minutes of the market open. I'll spend the rest of the week analyzing this five-minute trace, looking, hoping that I find something that matches what the trader said he saw. And in most cases, they do that, and they don't find it, and they come back with a shrug. In some cases, after a week of analysis, they will discover what happened last week. And again, that's not this week's anomaly. So having the real data allows you to align perceptions, meaning the business perceptions with reality, and therefore fix, spend far less time on figuring out did it happen, and spend the time on fixing the ones that did happen, and therefore being able to ignore the ones that are not real problems. And essentially it saves, the immediate return of investment is, is huge amounts of savings in terms of the resources spent chasing reported problems. Are most customers mature enough to recognize that or, or have those difficult discussions that people aren't working optimally and, or they're doing this, you know, they're, they're focusing on these inefficient tasks. Do you guys help clients understand these types of things or help them through so, some organizational transformation or change to, to better adopt business transaction management technology? Given our size, given our size, they often tell people, today we are, we spend our time helping people who have already discovered this, okay? They're, we're, we're basically inundated with the companies who already recognize this and are looking for the solution. You know, later, I guess, you know, as the market matures, uh, we may find ourselves more to go to outbound to, con- to, to convincing, uh, you know, companies that they should be doing this. Uh, right, at this point, um, we're finding this coming inbound. Now, one of the things that we see is that the company has to realize that what you need is a continuous measure. What we sometimes see is someone that says, you know, Let's install this as a tool for a week, you know, let's, let's, as, as, a, as a triage, let's, let's find this problem. And it's not, a, it's, although it can be used as that, but we then have to, to explain to the customer that really the problem you're looking for is not a one-time, you know, it's not the problem of 25 years ago where we know all the transactions are slow. It's the problem of a needle in a haystack you have to continuously measure to find, continuously find those anomalies to be able to identify if there's a new problem or something that to be aware of the, the perspective, the, the overall perspective of anomalies versus good, good transactions. So we have to educate people in terms of it's not something, it's not like a sniffer that you turn on and turn off, capture some packet and go after it only when you think it's happening. It's something you want to measure continuously to see the differences, see the anomalies, see the trends, and, and manage it correctly. So we see this as a very tactical solution near term but you know the strategic long-term uh, application of btm is, is still fairly immature right so but there are many people that see it so we are told the people that are coming to us and, and our, our, our customers are the very large environments which have already learned and understand 
that they must monitor this proactively on a long-term strategic basis. Yeah. Uh, occasionally, uh, you know, they, people come to us with, well, we think it's a, a, a short-term tactical, we really, and we explain to them that really, well, we can help you with the, that tactical. Uh, really, you need to implement this on a strategic basis. Uh, but the customers that store the RFPs, and again, the, the, the major stock markets, the stock exchanges, uh, understand that, that it is the anomaly in town, but they're doing, you know, 2 billion, they're talking about environments that do 2 billion transactions a day, two, and are projecting 10 billion transactions a day, and they recognize that when the volumes of that size, the anomalies, even a small percentage of anomalies, are huge. And so they come to us, they already recognize these, these are strategic initiatives. Uh, but we kept both, and again, we, you know, both in the enterprise and on the financial services are seeing that. Great. If, if, if we were to talk a little bit here about the overall maturity of, of the transaction management technology and, and the market in general, you know, how would you classify you know, where we were, you know, the first generation, where we are today, the current generation, and, and what's the next generation in terms of technology approaches, products, solutions, or vendors? I mean, is there a new new thing out there that hasn't been discovered or that, that CNET sees the need for in this area in terms of future capability? Well, the, the, the uh, progression has, has been, as, uh, you know, as, as mentioned before, you know, starting from the, you know, what we did, you know, monitoring the CPU and the, and the bandwidth, et cetera, and then we matured into, then you have the early, the early products that measure just network ground chip times and just individual components. And now you're seeing the emergence. I mean, we, we were basically really uh, the earliest in the, you know, 2003, 2002, 2000, 2003 is when we first came to market with a tool to assemble the real business transaction. As, as one of you know, conversation uh, I had with a customer who said, you know, Bernie, yeah, we have these tools that show us IP addresses and show us round chip time in, in terms of IT, but we're in the mortgage business, and and I want to see my mortgage transactions. So when we came back to them, this is even in 2004, with a view that says, Joe, working in this location, working on this mortgage, working on this document of this mortgage, took this many seconds to download this appraisal for this document, opened their eyes to a whole new perspective. And that's something, that's the, so, so while we, we got there in 2004, we're now seeing more interest in this area from many vendors and, and the customers realize that this is now possible. And now you have the two approaches, and I guess right now the two competing approaches to doing this. Uh, one is the approach, the server-based, the agent-based approach, uh, which says, okay, the only way to get that, and we have the, the vendors that provide the, is to install agents on into each of these components in the infrastructure, the networks, and, and the servers themselves, the clients themselves, to instrument those parts in order to tag, and we consider that very intrusive, and while it does a great job, we consider that very intrusive in the business. The other approach is what we do, and that is be able to piece together the entire end-to-end transaction and its component without using agents on servers or clients. And that's a harder thing to do because it means being able to piece together the, as we say, you know, stitch together the application, the transaction, purely as an observer, okay? And you don't have the, you don't have the ability to put tags in the traffic, and therefore you get, and so that, we see that basically achieving the end-to-end response time, the end-to-end business transaction measurement in its components by total by just observation without without tagging as as, as, as within the next generation. 
which we really began going, you know, going from 2004, and we basically make breakthroughs continuously in our ability to piece together that business transaction without touching it. Because we believe that, that while, you know, putting tags, especially when you go to financial services and very high-volume transactions, you don't tell a, uh, a, a, tra- a developer of a, of a trading system that you want to put, you know, put a small tag on, on the traffic so that you can trace it. So, that, so basically we see that the ability to agentlessly, to without install and software on agents and clients and servers, really put together the entire picture. And when we're late, we have some things we'll talk about, you know, just going forward also. So I guess that's uh, you know, pretty future-proof because the network as we know it is probably always going to be there in some form where cloud computing or SOA or any of these other architectural patterns for transactional interchange, you know, the, the network's always there, right? Right. In fact, you know, going back, you know, it goes all back a long way when, you know, Sun said, you know, the network is the computer. But the reality is, with all the service oriented with all the distribution, the fact is no business transaction in any environment really gets accomplished in one server. I mean, every, tra- you know, gets accomplished, of course, multiple tiers, and that's why, you know, as we, one of these we have to focus on is being able to, try to follow a transaction through many complex tiers. No longer a monolithic, and, and so therefore, by definition, everything is occurring on the network and is therefore visible on the network, on the network, and if you're doing it right, can be assembled and monitored and measured on the network, on the network without installing agents. When we talk about business transaction management, could you share CNET's thoughts on how it compares or contrasts to complementary areas such as user experience management, end-user experience management, quality of experience monitoring from the from the players like Keynote or Gomez or Symphonic or Karadiant. How do these things differ? Uh, I view I view it as one of the same. Essentially, when you look at Keynote, Keynote, Keynote is, you know, is active, Karadiant is passive, Coradia does things only, you know, does a slice of this, is that you're doing only the HTTP. But we're, we view the business transaction measurement as seeing, as, as we, end user, yeah, this, 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 I see this in different terms of the same thing. End user experience management, quality management, it's all business transaction measurement. I see the way to achieve user, user experience management, end user experience measurement through business transaction measurement. You must measure the end user experience terms of the business transactions. I don't see them as two different things. Uh, they're just different perspectives, different sides of the same coin. If you want to manage, you know, basically it's all about understanding, it's all about understanding the end user experience, uh, which in some cases is a human end user, in some cases is a, an automated algorithmic trading machine, which again is making money for a human, being managed by, by a human, seeing that. And so being able to see the transaction and manage the transactions is the way you manage the end user experience, the end user quality of experience, and all those things. There are tools that are passive and tools that are active. We believe you've got to measure it with passive tools to see the real end user experience. That's not to say that, that, that active tools are not important. We always say that active is necessary but not sufficient. You must have active tools because you have that to provide the best baseline and a benchmark. You want to have synthetic transactions, uh, things to what, you know, that have an external measurement of, and a continuous a consistent measurement. Uh, not used to not used to behave as, as easily as, as you'd like, so therefore you have to have that. But that, but as I say, you never want to tell a trader that lost money that the synthetic transaction generator sitting next to him had just fine response time. Uh, that's, not, that's not a good, good thing to say <laughs> to an end user who's lost money. Yeah, and it's you know the, the cost dynamics there of of trying to take a network approach at all those endpoints. Mm-hmm. 
becomes an issue at some point. So using other tools or other synthetic approaches out on those endpoints, watching it coming back into a central data center or the central VLANs where it can be picked up by a network approach is probably a, a good architecture. In fact, we do that. Many of our customers, you know, for example, we have customers that have active measurement tools, and we use the we, we observe the active tools with our passive tools. So we see the real transactions as well as the robot transactions, and we can use that to calibrate. In fact, what's one of the things you know is, is to calibrate and compare and make sure that we, that we're we're seeing the when we know we're getting the the, the active transactions, we're seeing that, then we know we're also getting the end user transactions correct. So, we actually use that and put that, put that together. Yeah, that baseline. We don't, don't, don't provide the synthetic transaction measurement. We, we, through our patent tool, observe those as well. Yeah, that baseline establishment is the key there, I think, from right. the... Uh, baseline. When we, we look at this application performance management area, it's, it's also complementary. Uh, is there a real difference that you see between business transaction management and application performance management? I think that also that thing we talked about as part of our value proposition discussion is that context, right? So some of these other areas like APM or end-user experience management may be focused on more of that IT context where business transaction management may be more focused on that business context. Another side of that coin we've talked about is application discovery and mapping. You talk about a capability of your solution called continuous application discovery. Could you share a little bit about that? 
one of the you know one of the things we found when uh, we started doing this, we started focusing on performance. But it turns out, in, in some environments, many environments, the, app, the, the environments are so, com- are so complex that we don't know that many com- don't know we, the, what servers relate to what application. And one of the one of these reasons, again, I found that you know started our product is there were, we saw products out there that did passive measurement, but the way they did them is you had to tell the tool what to look for that it couldn't even it couldn't even measure at round trip time, a simple network round trip time or a SQL response time, unless you told it to monitor this port on this IP address, et cetera, et cetera. To me, that seems uh, kind of odd because my perspective is we're watching the network. I shouldn't have to tell you what's there. You tell me what's there. So we have different levels of use. One is just observe the what we call the quad, the TCP and UDP traffic by itself and say, who's talking to who? So we, on the first level, in many environments, you have to start with before you can go to the, the full-blown business transaction measurement. You can't even do the business transaction measurement until you understand what servers are handling which business transactions or which application. You do that by simply observing all the traffic and categorizing that into one of our OLAP cubes that says, okay, these are the servers talking to each other at different ports, and then we can say to the customer, okay, which ones are the ones you want to now monitor, you know, define business transactions? Because in order to do the business transaction measurement, you've got to define Transaction. So we often, what will often happen is we'll, the, the customer will tell us, oh, yes, server A, talk to the server B, talk to the server C. We install our product and say, you know something, we see the transaction go from server A to server B and making a call to another server. What is that? They didn't even know that server existed in this path until we observed the traffic. And then they'll, then they'll do some investigation to find out that, oh, there is another component or there is something else they weren't even aware of. And that's where the discovery comes in. The ability to see all the traffic and see all the interaction, and it's amazing. We find amazing situations of anomalies in production that flow they weren't aware of. I'll give you one interesting example. We had a Corbett environment, a Corbett server, and the customer told us that you know, this server, the client hit this Corbett server. We looked at the traffic, and we saw that every request went to the Corbett server, and the Corbett server responded saying, that service is not on my server on a different IP address. So we rejected the request, and the client then made the request to the correct IP address. But both IP addresses were on the same physical server. <laughs> so what's happening is every transaction, when the request was being made, was being redirected back to the same machine, so a separate request could be made. The system worked. And no one knew there was a problem until, and what it turned out the reason was, way back about two years ago during testing, Someone had installed a second IP address, second machine, and they went to production and never changed it, that, not realizing that in production, every request was being rejected. And that was a form of discovery of saying, hey, this is what's really happening. This is what people believe is happening. And we, we, we install the tool, you see what really, what the flow really is. So when we, we look at all this data that you have exposure to on the wire, and you're capturing it, and you're finding out who the top talkers are, and who the, who's sharing packets with who, and where the flows are, that's a, that's a holy grail for a lot of companies, right? There's there's companies or products out there who are very focused in this application discovery and mapping space. There's you know agent and agentless approaches to that as well, and everybody has this vision of getting all this data, complex services, complex applications stored into a CMDB or some authoritative repository. How are you helping 
companies in that area? Do you, do you make this data available to be exported out towards a, a CMDB or, or, or how, how would you help companies with your discovered data be productive in other areas? Right. So, there, so again, yeah, like you mentioned, there are companies whose entire focus was, is, is, the, is what the mapping, the discovery and mapping of resources. We, while we do that, it's not, uh, you know, and therefore we, we're today we don't focus on some of the GUI aspects of that. So, yes, everything that we collect or everything that we discover is both visible in our database. One of, the, one of our big principles is that all of our data is open, an open schema, not, nothing is hidden. And so, A, you have our GUIs to present, uh, to view this data, to view the actual topology. And B, of course, you can export that. So you can, anything that we produce... We can export using our own tools or we provide access to our databases with the schema. So one of the things that what we don't have today, and this is one of the areas where, you know, we're, we're expanding and beginning to kind of focus on key areas, we don't have the, a, 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 a dynamic mapping facility. So while we are capturing the, all the traffic and the topology, the tools that focus on that draw these very pretty dynamic maps. Of doing that, we for a long time we had a relationship with Smarts. We're smart. We did spot with the Smarts engine, and Smarts had that kind of topology mapping. So we're focusing again, you know, on the on the high volume uh, and the latency aspect and the performance aspect. Uh, and one of the one of the areas that, that we potentially can expand more to is in some of that GUI aspect of you know the presentation of discovery. What we don't do is some of the things that the, the, some of the discovery tools on asset management tools do it by again running agents on servers which get you know release information of software that's not what we do understand uh, but you could help discover all those relationships the calls the hidden killer in the enterprise environment is the, the dependencies on things like dns servers or ldap or active directory servers right um, exactly we can we'll see anything that interacts so, so the analogy i often give you know is while the tools that install agents everywhere will tell you about software. So, for example, we'll only be able to discover something that's being used. So, for example, if there's a web server out there that no one's talking to, we won't discover it because it's, well, it may be a web server, no one's asking it anything. The tool that installs an agent there, you will see it, but uh, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll observe what's actually happening, what actually is being used and called and how it's being used. And inevitably, it's amazing how there's always a delta between the belief of how things work and how they really work, even in the most, you know, um, critical environments like Wall Street. It's amazing. The systems are so complex that no one person understands these. And you have different layers of architects. And even the high-level architects are not aware of many of the details of application flows that are going on in their own application. Absolutely. One last question in this area of discovery and mapping of of applications is that uh, I think I heard you say that that's something that the customer has to tell you how the discovered information relates to one another uh, so there's an inferred understanding that they may have already about that application from the you know the end-to-end flow or the components or 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 key dependencies and relationships how do you know how do you how do you help a client through that when they may not know that information themselves right so it's a very common thing and you know example that the customer will say the, the database architect we have a situation the database architect says that that application A uses this database server and not this database server. And we look at them and say, no, we're seeing SQL calls to this table and this other server. And literally, so we'll say, hey, 
and they'll, they'll discover, and like I think the, the previous corporate example, they'll discover to their surprise that in fact some configuration change was made, and in fact they did not know that, that the real <laughs> application of the server that's serving this application is a machine they weren't even aware. You know, the super secret Visio document or spreadsheet didn't get updated. <laughs> So that, that last top level, which again is most often the, of the most value to the business, there's probably going to still be some amount of manual work there to, to bring in that tribal knowledge, that corporate knowledge, that business knowledge to, to f- put the finishing touches on all that low-level technical data. I think a lot of approaches involve fingerprinting or profiling or mapping, you know, common applications to common ports. But again, like you said, that that doesn't help bring in that business context to say, you know, this query or this SQL call is related to this transaction, is related to this business process or activity, which equates to a million-dollar last-minute end-of-trading-day execution order happening. I've sort of been putting my thoughts around defining this area of business transaction management, including four main areas. Transaction discovery and inventory, which we've talked a little bit about. Transaction tracing or 
you know, the stitching together of all that low-level data into the end-to-end flow, transaction monitoring and transaction intelligence and analytics. Does that jive with, with how CNET would approach defining the key areas of business transaction? That's, that's, that's one way of categorizing, right, and we do all of those. But, yes, the, in fact, the term stitching, I mean, I, I, I hope that's something that uh, Ray uh, you know, first coined, uh, you know, about probably several months ago, the, the word, term for stitching together. Or, you know, yeah, talking about taking all these individual events that happen, of course, in, say, 10 tiers in different locations and stitching that together into, into the logical whole. Uh, it's, it's a complete picture. But it's made up of the low-level units, you know, the low-level decodes of each, each component, and then putting that together. It involves the discovery. So, therefore, all these individual pieces and then the final level, the high-level analysis, okay, bringing it all together. And, you know, from our perspective, the things that, uh, the challenge, you know, there's another one that we add to that, and that is in the high-volume environments, not once you've, you've collected the data, you've, av- you've matched it, you've, you've analyzed it, you've, you've put it together, but the volume is such, we're talking about 250,000 transactions, 500,000 transactions per second that have to be not just measured, but stored, each and every one of them. Okay, in the financial services environment, they demand that we store each one of those and make them accessible in real time, which creates a whole level of database issues, a massive parallelism on the database. Okay, so that's another area that we that, that's a big focus for us: is how to record all this, measure it all this, analyze it, put it together, stitch it all together, and record it and make and manage that data, the whole database management and, and, and retrieval stuff. We talked about the various approaches for discovery a little bit. We talked about agent-based and non-agent-based and intrusive or non-intrusive. Are there other approaches out there apart from those two areas, or is that pretty much what we're, uh, we're with at this current state in the, the technology market? Right. Yeah, different levels. And two, basically, the, the agent-based and non-agent-based, essentially, of approaches and the you know, two schools of thought. Uh, you know, I love I love the result of an agent-based approach. Just again, the customers that we talk to, the environments that we work in, we find uh, that customers are moving away from want to avoid agent-based environments uh, in anything but the smallest environments. And again, there are applications which it's okay because they're small enough. And we work we work in some of the largest environments. We find mission critical. But yeah, as far as the approaches, it's, it's active and passive, and we're clear on, on the passive side, and then passive. Well, you know, it gets muddy when you start a passive monitor that starts inserting tags and it's really passive. But basically, it's agentless versus agent-based approach. Okay. And so the debate probably still exists around the administrative burden of an agent approach versus the, the richness of data. And I've heard these discussions and debates throughout my career as well, all the way from the systems management side and now the application monitoring and, and mapping side as well. Right, the agent base you know, claims that they, they can get resource utilization. They can, they, they can get resource information together with that. They can also make they can make optimization changes. So I get very nervous, and my customers get very nervous when they hear you know you're gonna you know, you're, you're, that some automated tool that does not really know my application is gonna be on the agent and make decisions in real time about affecting traffic flows. Uh, that's a very scary conversation for most people. Being yeah. able to observe it accurately. As as, uh, as as the market maker said, as Bernie, you you give me the information. I know what to do with the information. You just give me the information. We know what to do with it. Don't don't start messing around with my application. 
We see this transaction tracing area uh, or stitching area as the secret sauce that appears that one vendor has compared to another without going into too much detail. Again, in this area, you're discovering tremendous amounts of data from each tier, from each transaction flow. What, what are the characteristics of, of having to stitch that data together? I mean, are, are there, I understand the tagging approach, but you're taking that, that network probe and packet level approach. How do you, how do you find that, that unique key, if you will, that, that enables you to, uh, to stitch all that together? Is that, is that analytics and software on the back end that makes that possible? It's basically a combination of, of three factors. It's, um, it's tools. Right now those tools are internal to us. It's a methodology we've developed based on lots of experience. So because of our experience in doing, because we've been doing this really from uh, 2002, 2003, our experience in understanding protocols, we built a set of tools and a methodology that allows us to quickly build these, build these configurations. Okay, so what many people consider, you know, onerous or we had the big, yeah, the big breakthrough. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I just talked about the, you know the first time uh, we did this in 2000. It was January of 2003. It always happens at four in the morning. These big breakthroughs, and when we took a um, an app, a complex application, and reconstructed for the first time the full business logic just by looking at the wire, and it was like. Oh my God, this is amazing! And I said, Oh my God, it's obvious. Well, obviously, if all the traffic is on the network, you can reconstruct it. The breakthrough is that it's feasible. Okay, it was many years of assuming that it just wasn't feasible. That yes, physically possible because it does occur in the network, but is it really feasible? The breakthrough is it feasible to do it fast enough and efficiently enough to make it economically viable? Okay. And one of the anecdotes I gave is in one of our early implementations, even going back to 2004, is we, while we were doing implementation of stitching together this business transaction, there was the installation going on at the same time of an off-the-shelf overview. We were done first. So therefore, the, the complex configuration and profiling operation of understanding and building this configuration for, for an application still took less time than implementing a off-the-shelf, out-of-the-box, OpenView open product that didn't require any, any customization, any application special understanding. So the breakthrough is being able, is making it feasible, really making it feasible, making it, making, making it practical. And that's what we've been working on, and we're constantly improving it. As I call it, moving the line to the left. It's constantly uh, moving it from physical manual work of configuration to point-and-click, drag-and-drop user configuration. So today, it's still something we do, but the direction is to make that something the end user does. Again, is that protocol? Is that technology? Is that application? Is that architecture independent? I mean, is that approach going to stand the test of time? Yes, that, that's what we're saying. Basically, is you build it in layers. You build it in layers. And basically, each of those things you mentioned, you know, protocol, you've got to, you know, A, be able to you know, have off-the-shelf protocols. So number one of the things we'll be able to do dynamically today we do it manually, is a new protocol. But ultimately, we envision a user sitting at a workstation, looking at a trace, and pointing and saying, that's my account number. And now is that account number based on a physical offset, or is it based on a length offset or something? Is it based on a static offset? And being able to define those parameters, how do you find that account number going forward? And clicking and dragging it, and that's my account number in this type of packet, uh, et cetera. That's a low-level protocol. Then at the state level, 
level. Because if you think about what we're doing, uh, we didn't actually spend, uh, uh, we're doing complex distributed state management. Essentially, we've got to decode events at many, many locations, bring them together into a matching engine where we keep state, distributed state, saying we have a request open here, we have a request and a response over there. And therefore, the next level, so there's two levels of customization. What is it, the decode level, which means the protocol level, how do we customize that dynamically? And then how do you, once you've got that, those events, how do you define to the system what the logical state is that this transaction begins here, goes from this server to this server, this server, and what defines the event in that process and how you put it together. So again, both of those today happen through, in, in our lab as then we build a custom module for, the high, for that high-level customization uh, and the direction to create tools for the user to do this. And to make this, therefore, you can do that generically. So there's some there's some dependence on your backend analysis and work to get a client into production with a custom protocol that they may have in their environment. Well, that's something that's something we you know so get custom again because we go into the full custom payload. We go all the way not just an HTTP request like Siebel, for example, but all the way into the custom payload of what's in a Siebel application okay. or the custom. Uh, on the financial services side, not just a TIPCO packet, but there's a payload in that understanding what that logical message is. Absolutely. Um, we have already we already have APIs that allow the users to write their own protocols without without us. But, uh, so therefore, there's a process that's about as a continuum. a continuum. It goes from layer to layer, and we've already got the first pieces of those. And we keep pushing that line to the left, so that more and more of this is automated, and less and less of it is you know custom module configuration. How are you seeing organizational readiness, right? I mean, we, we all come from the traditional IT management and monitoring space where there's typically an enterprise monitoring tools group, and these guys have a unique skill set that's often stuck into a network or a server or an application silo. This business transaction management area, I see, need, you know, brings a whole other need for skill set and depth and breadth of knowledge to, to be able to operate and manage a tool like this, right? Somebody who can, who's a business transaction management analyst who who can speak on both sides of the business and IT fence, who knows how to stitch together. He's a packet junkie, and he knows payloads and PDUs, and he knows all that stuff at that level and can span all the way up to here's the business activity or process or area that's happening. I mean, what do you, how, are we, how do we make sure that companies are, are ready for this type of technology in their, their IT or business organizational structure? That's a very, that's a very key question. And yeah, the companies, again, as we said earlier, the companies that are, we're dealing with now are the ones in the leading edge of this. When they define the initiatives, in many cases, they've defined the initiative. And therefore, they create, at the same time, they're creating these, these new structures. They're identifying it as a new, new position, new, new job descriptions, okay, that, are, that now have to be liaison between the monitoring, you know, the, the NOC, which is monitoring the, you know, networks, and being able to, have a liaison between the application group and the operations group. So we, have, you know, we, do, we do have people that are focused on monitoring it from the, from the company, from the customer side. They're focused on monitoring the, app, the application. And there are people who come to, who have both application knowledge and network knowledge, okay, and infrastructure knowledge. And that's one of the, that's, that's always hard to find. That's, 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 that's a combination mix. So therefore, the people that are doing it in you know, large organizations are people that, that come, that have spent a lot of years, the job description, in this case, is 
is people that, that are in the environment for, for a long time and therefore know both the applications and the infrastructure. Some of my opinions are that you only find these guys in that super secret enterprise architecture council, if you will. And I think that we've got to push that knowledge down, right? I mean, at some point, the monitoring tools group has right. to understand how to span that. And they have to get out of their comfort zones and, and right. become more consultative in nature than just pushing buttons on a tool. Absolutely right. So the, so our tool helps them make that transition. Because the, the early adopters, so to speak, are the ones who already have, to make it successful, tap into those people, those resources that, that, that have that broader view. At the same time, the product helps both those people and, and people with less experience bridge that gap. Right. I said earlier, they discover the things you didn't know about the application. They're always, even though people are always learning something about the application, if they've known somebody is, I mean, it's amazing. You know, for example, we, you know, we find an anomaly. For example, we think that the product is dropping packets. Why is it we had uh, 100 transactions come in and only 90 transactions come out? And first you think it's dropping, then you discover, then they start to discover and find out the way the application works in the trading engine. If it, if it falls behind, if the, if the trading engine falls behind or the quote engine falls behind, it decides, listen, there's no point in me sending this old quote. It's already stale. Drop it. And so, therefore, we're reserving the truth, and they learn something about their application they never knew before based on that. Yeah, that's exactly how I cut my teeth in this whole area in my past job. I was at Earthlink. Was that similar scenario? You know, a thousand orders came in, but fifty came out. Right, the whole shopping cart abandonment, right? Lost orders, you know, scenario. And then you find out the things there are certain algorithms built in that do that, which nobody understands anymore. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah, I definitely would like to have a, a, a follow-on topical podcast on 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 what you're seeing from those more mature customers in terms of organizational readiness and skills enablement and equipping. IT organizations to uh, be prepared for this technology. All right, yes, that's definitely interesting. And, and again, at the end of the day, it's driven by business need. I mean, basically, you know, in all those cases, it's, be, you know, it's after, quote, pain and suffering and business need realizing that you've got to do this. Right. And uh, that's how we find, you know, the, the ones that are in the leading edge. And then it's up to us to educate, you know, going, once you go past those early adopters to recognize that, that this has got to be done and how to do it. Yep. In this area of business transaction monitoring and the, and the act of actually monitoring the discovered transactions, what do we see monitoring look like in this area? Is it the same as what we did in, in the other traditional monitoring areas? Is it availability, performance capacity, throughput? What, what are we monitoring when we talk about applying that to business transactions? There are two general. What are some of our customers are monitoring service levels. And they're under contract to monitor service levels. Okay, that they're simply uh, large outsourcers that uh, have a, con- a large contract to monitor the service level of an application. Uh, that's one example. And there, then there are the, the those who are monitoring a performance for looking for anomalies. Okay, and the third is you know the, the responding to rec- responding to calls at, at, at the help desk. So essentially. Different, you know, different uses. You know, both the they're looking at all transactions, looking for just the anomalies. Just looking at alerts. Okay, when an alert happens, okay, tracking that down. You have the the operations people, then you have the analytical people who are then taking the data and analyzing, looking for trends and looking looking for deeper deeper meaning and deep and you know where where the issues are in the infrastructure. So they're very different uses, sets of users, and different uses of it. After you've discovered these transactions and we've got you know fundamental monitoring in place, are are you 
establishing profiles of behavior, for instance, can you monitor for the lack of transactions happening? Absolutely right. That's one of the alerts is you know, saying, yeah. In fact, once once you have once you've seen this, you now have you see everyone can start getting an intuitive feel for what things look like. Then you can define an alert saying when 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 you know traffic drops below. You know, okay, did either did either everyone go home? Okay, or did something go wrong someplace? What you know, did something suddenly spike or did something suddenly you know go down in terms of business transaction? We were handling this many trades a second, and now we're handling less. And when why? And you can do that even when there's still a relatively small change. Well, obviously, you know, if something drops, you know, to, to, you know, drops by 90%, that's, that's kind of visible. But once you have good baselines, once you have a good understanding of what normal looks like, you can start seeing subtle changes that will become bigger issues down the road and therefore catch them earlier. That's when you get, that's when you get into dynamic threshold, whereas right now we have static threshold, and one of our, again, directions is, is you know, control chart type dynamic threshold. That really, if, if some something doubled or what, or, or dropped by a large amount relative to a baseline, while it doesn't affect something today, okay, being aware of that change is critical because eventually these kind of changes come back and bite you. Okay, the problem is some decision that suddenly failed really was going was was, was growing slowly over time, and suddenly it, it exceeded you know something and broke. If you can see that trend happening before before, you can get ahead of that curve. So you see taking CNET and the technology towards this predictive and proactive monitoring space, such as we see companies like Nituitive or Integrian playing in today? Well, yeah, basically, I mean, we, we see being able to work with companies like that as well. I mean, companies being able, we have the, the measurement data, okay? So, we, you know, we don't have to own, you know, if they have technology that does, that does you know, more predictive analysis, we, you know, we, we will have some of those tools ourselves. We will, we will have dynamic thresholding that does not negate using that data in, in tools like that. As, as, nor does it, for example, one of the uses is, is modeling tools. One of the conversations we have often is capacity, capacity planners are building models. And modeling is a very effective technology. The reason that it often fails is they don't have, they're operating with bad data. So the, the frustration of people who build models is I, my, model, my model is not good because I don't have good, good real data. And having this for the first time gives the modeling people the better data to build those models, as well as it gives the predictive people, okay, the, the predictive and the, and the, and the capacity planning, uh, better real data, real data to, be, to build better models and better analysis. So we will always increase the, the facilities we have to do better, more dynamic thresholding and control charts and things like that. That does not at all be intend to work with the vendors that already have those technologies. We talked a little bit about the, the history of, of this area of transaction monitoring, uh, and one of those predominant areas appears to be this thing called ARM, or Application uh, Resource uh, Monitoring, or, or bytecode instrumentation, or right. ultimately one of the challenges that most companies have is instrumenting deep into that application stack to have visibility into those finite transactions. If companies... Are, are, are pursuing that ap- approach or, or have other means of instrumenting applications, that data ultimately gets put into the network packet. I mean, do you take advantage of that, or is that just more, the more data you get exposed to in the packets, the more richer you're going to be able to uh, you know, act on that in your solution? Very, uh, boy, I haven't heard term arm in, in many years now. That was the, that was the, that was a Big, big initiative back in, I think it was probably 99, 2000, 
2000 CMG, where there was a big initiative with ARM was going to save the world, and it's a great approach. Um, and the concept of instrumenting the application itself, because as I tell people, the truth is, the best way to do this, yeah, we talked about the approaches, we talked about uh, agent versus non-agent, and we left out, in fact, the instrumentation of the application. Ultimately, instrumentation of the application gives you the best information, because the, the application knows itself better than anything, right? Putting it, and, uh, but in the, other, the reason that we don't see here much of it anymore is that, at the end of the day, developers don't, you know, opening old applications to put the instrumentation is, is very rare. And even, even new applications don't, that instrumentation is not built in. But having said that, for applications that do have forms of instrumentation, we will observe that traffic as well. So, for example, not only are we getting our own timestamps, we are getting timestamps from the application. So in the, in the case of one of the exchanges, simple case, they insert their own timestamp into the quote. Now that timestamp is not based on a, a GPS or a, um, an atomic clock. It's based on a millisecond. It might be off by a millisecond. But we use that and we compare that timestamp with the timestamp we see it. So, for example, so we can therefore we'll use the information in the packet, their own instrumentation, and compare that with the objective uh, timestamp. Another example of that is the messaging infrastructures like Twenty uh, West and Tipco and companies that are doing faster messaging architectures. They've got all this instrumentation in their product. Every one of their servers will, install, will insert timestamps and logical timestamps along the way. But they want us to monitor their application timestamps from an objective perspective from the outside, to independently monitor and use the information in the record. So ultimately, you, you get a combination of both, and, 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 and it becomes even more valuable. One of the big focus areas that I'm very passionate about is understanding how this transaction management area can be applied or will be applied or needs to change to be able to be applied to, you know, all this new talk of Web 2.0 and, and new emerging programming models and methods like Ruby on Rails or rich Internet applications or Flex or Flash. You know, I mean, are the tried and true methods that we've talked about to date or certainly the network approach is applicable, but is business transaction management ready for you know this new way of programming for you know the web? Very good question. There's some obviously you're aware you know some of, some of the issues, the challenges. I mean, we obviously it's funny, we we use all those technologies. Some of those you know the flex flex for example, our own front ends are built on flex. When you JavaScript and things, like one of the so one of the challenges when you're monitoring the way we monitor, if you're looking at a client talking to a web server. And that application runs Flex or some kind of client-based, or, uh, you know, JavaScript or something like that. The time it takes for that, that will appear to us as being client sync time. So, in other words, think about. So, from the point of view, a, a request is made to the to the server. Uh, server downloads an applet, and applet is interacting locally in the client. That interaction is not seen on the network because now it's a local interaction. So while the, system, you know, the next request, so to speak, waits five seconds later, it turns out that the user was waiting on a dialog box, you know, being generated by a flex application, which we don't see in the network. So, you know, clearly, so from one perspective, we see any traffic on the network, and so therefore we do monitor those applications. From the other perspective, there are things that, there are some things that are now not happening on the network because of those. But again, you know, from when you talk about the overall picture, we're, we're still seeing, you know, the end-to-end -end transaction, and we have to be aware of that. We have to, that part of profiling the application, understanding that certain aspects of the application are happening.
happening on the client and being able to build that into that part of the data you need to understand the application. But that clearly is, you know, every time we solve a problem, the industry manages to put another challenge in its way. <laughs> so that's, that's one of them. That's yeah, so I think maybe your approach of you, know, you capturing all the packets and capturing all that information and then you know, your decode layer, that top layer where we're going to bring the business context or the user context uh, by creating your signatures or your fingerprints uh, with your secret sauce is it? You know, is that the answer? There is, is you know that that ability to bring that context at the top layer. Right, it's a calibration. So knowing that this application has a flex layer, okay, when you see something that looks like you know, again, you have to know the application with it. That looks like five seconds of client time. It looks like the client just didn't hit enter for five seconds. Really understanding that that is. That really was not the client think time. It's really this flex time. It might be the client CPU, you know, and that speed of executing this this flex application or JavaScript application. Right. That, yeah, interpreting that data, interpreting that data correctly requires an understanding of the application. In terms of how they think about end-to-end transaction timings, is is that breakout of client time, network time, uh-huh. server time? good enough, or, or is there something new that we need for business transaction management? Well, you start with, you want to, again, you want to always start with, you know, people are saying, you know, how do you start any oldest instrumentation, is to start with the end user. So you, you start with a single measurement point, which is right in front of, let's say, the web server or the, or the most outbound server, just to get a perspective on what the client time is and the client network time. But once you've done that, then you realize that this, there is, the, the anomalies you're looking for, the anomalies are the ones that are hurting you. Uh, aren't in the client, aren't in the network, aren't in the client, aren't on the first server. They're you know, three levels deep uh, in an Oracle server or a SQL server. So, for example, one of our customers, one of our large uh, customers, started by monitoring just the end user transaction. As a result of seeing what that was, they justified the budget to instrument the rest of the applications four levels deep. Okay, they used the data that they received from the client monitoring and say, okay, because that's an example, they were responsible for service-level monitoring for service-level agreements. They were responsible, had penalties, penalty-based service-level agreements, and they justified the budget of instrumenting the rest of the application based on what they'd save in penalties. Uh, okay, so once you saw the actual response time, now you have to solve, the, find those anomalies to find the causes, and, and, and they justified it by the saving of, of penalties. But, so I'm not sure if that's what, what you're getting at in terms of, you know, do you stop with just the client monitoring versus dig deeper into the, the back end? Yeah, I'm just trying to to paint a picture here of how, you know, I think that first generation way of looking at transactions or, or, you know, user flows through a complex system was generally broken out into client time, network time, and server time. Right. Um, But I'm not sure if that's giving them the complete picture when they when they're running because that's generally associated with a, a synthetic transaction. You know, based on my experience. That, that's, that, that's true. It's, it's client, network, and server, except there are there's maybe one client. There may be uh, 10 servers. Okay, there's, there's 10 application servers, and then each of those servers has instances of servers. And so we have applications. We see applications literally, you know, there are like 15 tiers between the user who clicked on something and literally put to a load balancer, to a web server, to a load balancer, to a SQL server, to a load balancer, to a SQL mm-hmm. database, to an M2 series, to a load balancer, to another M2, to a, web, to a WebSphere server, and then, you know, ultimately to an Oracle server. You know, literally, we see, tra- you know, yeah. and put all that together. There are literally, you know, 2,000 events uh, that happen for this one transaction. And what we do is we categorize each one of those, those deltas. Where does it belong? To which, 
server does it belong? Yeah, to which path? Which network layer does it work? Which path? Which which tap? Which which point? Yeah, and I think that's the key there is that holistically looking at just CNS without the context of hey you know behind that load balancer there's 15 different servers that it could go through you know being able to half split being able to troubleshoot you really can't do that unless you have the visibility of the entire path and and see that client network server time broken out across that complex multi-tiered environment which is what we do so we see examples of okay you found now you found the anomaly you found the one transaction million that was slow okay or a few and now you say okay now we can literally see the, the anatomy of that. One of the things you specialized in is showing the anatomy, the full detailed anatomy of that transaction. And it shows the load balance took one millisecond to pass it on to the, to the SQL server. The SQL server took 100 milliseconds to make the first request to Oracle. Okay. Now, which Oracle server, which SQL server handled this? Which database or which um, web server handled it? Because now we're looking at that transaction. You now see what that, and you can now look at patterns. Okay, are all transactions going through handled by that web service low, or is it you know cross web service, et cetera, et cetera? But once you have the information, we have all that data of which client, which server, which IP, which web server, which SQL server, which Oracle server uh, that that particular transaction traversed, and how long each component took. I just want to close here with a few questions around this area of BTM adoption. We touched on it a little bit about how some of these clients who are more mature or, or more advanced in their readiness are successful with this area of BTM and transaction monitoring. But are, are there things that a customer should be focusing on first, potentially, before they consider a, a BTM solution? You know, should, they, should they be at some level of maturity with their fundamental you know, network and systems and application monitoring, for instance, before they move into BTM? We believe, yeah, we believe that in most cases they are. That 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 you, you know, basically by by the time you're looking at BTM, you, you really at this point have uh, network monitors. You have all the tools on the servers. Like I said, you've already uh, reached a certain level. You know, in, in, the, in the in the high 99s uh, of reliability, you've already instituted the processes. Okay, because that's where we were, you know, years ago. And so you can get you can get you can solve as we have large parts of the application performance problem by good management, good procedures, good change control, monitoring of the resources, you know, you're, you're, and you've done all that and that's good, you've, you've now gotten to where you are, and as the saying goes, you know, what got you here will not get to the next level. So it's one, so we, what we do see, but we do see uh, companies who basically say, you know, we haven't done a good job of monitoring at all. We don't have network management monitoring or application monitoring. Let's go out and do it together. Let's get one tool, okay? and. They then go and say, well, we, you know, let's do this all in one shot. Because they, 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 they always say, hey, can't the same monitor monitor? Because after all, we're capturing packets, okay? Why do I have to have two products, you know, for two taps? And therefore, they, and that's what we're working with. We're, we're actually working on doing that also to become uh, in, in one place, both the network monitoring and the application monitoring. And in some cases, we're doing it alone. In other cases, we're, we're partnering with vendors to do that. Some of the examples of that is, you know, vendors like Netscap, where, where customers have said, hey, we want the best of both worlds. We want the, in Netscap, we don't have any, we don't have good network monitoring. Let's get Netscap together with, with CNET, and we want you guys to build a, a, a integrated solution. And we're actually uh, working on that, you know, with the vendors you know, and the customers. So if you looked uh, into... In most uh... cases, they, you know, that comes out to where you have built that infrastructure, but in some cases they're saying, hey, let's do this all together. So if you looked into the crystal ball and, you know, maybe it applies only in a greenfield environment, is it 
possible that a customer could take a completely top-down approach and use business transaction management as the sole monitoring tool in their environment and not have to worry about putting agents on servers and you know all the other traditional tools that are out there? Ultimately, the yes and no. I mean, you also you need the server tools. At the end of the day, uh, when you know, the reason we, 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 you know, the IT departments, when they look at our data, can so quickly solve problems is because they have the other complementary tools. So in other words, we can identify that there is a bottleneck going on in the server. But when it comes time, since we don't go inside that server, you need, you, you need to have those tools. You need to have those Wiley tools and other tools that go into the Java machine and the Java, the Java virtual machines and the buffers and the monitoring what's going on inside the machine. So we can't replace... It just makes more effective use of those tools. But if you looked at so, if you looked at a lot of architectures today, you know, in large environments, highly commoditized servers to the point where it's plug and play, right? I mean, identify the bad thing and pull it out, put a new one in. Could you theoretically use a transaction management approach to monitor that environment? Well, we certainly can monitor the environment, right? Because we're seeing all the components. Seeing all the, all the traffic of the application, you, you can plug in another module and you'll see it. You'll see it flow, flow through there. In terms, you're saying in terms of you know, you, you still. I'm not sure. You're right, could you, you know, the, can business transaction management solutions identify, you know, by looking at the transaction flows and performance and whatnot, that it's server X out of the 10,000 servers that's the problem, where operations can just go pull out server X and put in a new server. So somebody can identify that it's server X, but it might not, but not be server, might not be server X because server X is a problem. It could be because of the, the, the volume being handled by server X. And the solution may not be the solution may not always be just replacing that server. The solution may be an application solution. The solution may be splitting you know traffic in different different ticket range in the same financial services. Uh, so for example, one of the things that one of the ways financial services scale, they've got to split the um, the server load by ticker symbol. And one of the challenges they always have is what is the right what is the right split? You know, we asked them the same question. They said, "Well, if you can figure that out, you can come work for us." <laughs> so it's not always a matter of replacing you know a server. Maybe in some cases, yes, a faster server, but very often it's a matter of reconfiguring the application. So we can identify the problem area. The solution may not always be simply okay. Well, unplug that and plug in a new version of it. Understand? Uh, you know, so that will depend on the application. Understand. Are there any questions that I should have asked you today, but but didn't? Well, I guess the one area we didn't uh, talk about much. One of the unique things that we do because is about the you know the synchronization of clocks, for example, how we do the fact that, that the importance, at least in financial services, of doing one-way network latency, which is an area that rarely gets attention in the, um, in, the in the in the enterprise space. And that's something. You know, how do you measure the one-way latency in the network from let's say New York to London? That's one aspect. Is that uh, involving, you know, synchronization of 
the probes to a, a NTP server or a stratum one or a cesium clock somewhere? I mean, how do you, how does that happen? The way we, yeah, the way we do it is yeah, NTP is not accurate enough because that's, that's simply the way we do it is with a proprietary NIC card. The, 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 the NIC card we use to capture packets accepts its own crystal clock, which also accepts a pulse per second from either a CDMA or a GPS. So it allows it to synchronize the probes. Therefore, the timestamps of the packet in London and New York or uh, New York, New Jersey, will be based on the same clock, where they're each getting it from their own direction. So, for example, if you have CDMA or GPS, the probe in New York and the probe um, in New Jersey are both getting their own pulse per second. So the NIC card runs free for a second. It's got its own crystal. And over a second will typically drift 10 to 15 nanoseconds. And every second gets a new, uh, a new pulse. So effectively, you're using, for, for only a few thousand dollars, you can get clock synchronization to under five microseconds. You don't yeah. need a season clock, you don't need an atomic clock, and you don't rely on NTP, which is, in the case of many, is not reliable enough for the, you know, for the mic microseconds. We basically get a time accuracy with CDMA of about 20, plus or minus 20 microseconds, and with GPS under five microseconds. And some of this is very specific and specialized to the very the, the financial services market, but they care a lot about those kinds of one way. And we see examples. You know, the famous ping and round trip is fine for enterprise. When it comes to financial services, you actually remember that the the, the the two paths in the same network in two directions are different. They're not they're not the same latency in each direction of a network. Let's multicast the multicast switches and and. Um, uh, you know the latest network technologies that you know are low latency, and we see, you know, in low latency environments, you know, measurements of under a millisecond between, you know, in a, in a WAN environment. But you guys partner with Endace Technologies, right? Right. Yes, Endace, the manufacturer of the of the card that it has the, 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 their dad card that we use for the capture that they uh, does high speed capture without without loss and that can timestamp the packets and get the CDMA and GPS signals. So we, we buy the DAG cards in them as well as the, the, the duct kits, the clock kits that are the receivers that feed the pulse per second into those drivers so that we can get the accurate timestamps. Well, great. That, that's really where I want to wrap things up today. We did go a little bit over, but I think we've laid a great foundation for what CNET Technologies brings to this area of business transaction management. I want to thank uh, you deeply, uh, Bernie and, and Raymond, for your time today, and I do uh, you know, want to invite you back to, to have follow-on discussions uh, via podcast or via you know, guest authors' uh, posts on uh, my blog to, to, to really share more about the technical side, the operational side, you know, how, to, how, how to help clients be successful in this area of business transaction management.